Welcome to Rain City Supercars. As always, I'm Nick. And I'm Dan. We're brought to you uh, by Avance, Haggerty, Rainier Beer, Carter Subaru, and recording live at Drivers Club, as per usual. As per usual. It's, uh, well, I mean, you're going to be hearing this on Friday, but uh, as, we, as you know, we record on Mondays, so Christmas hasn't happened yet, but we hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Yeah. Um, it's been, uh, yeah. How, how's your week been leading up to the holidays? Uh, you know, it was it was really good until yesterday. What happened? I went for a little drive across the pass in the Porsche, around it at 2 to 97 to 90, which, of course, it handled flawlessly thanks mm-hmm. to right away tire. Yeah. A little bit of snow, a little bit of rain, no big deal. As per usual, I was stuck behind a semi that decided it needed to go to the way station throw a giant rock into my windshield. So that's the second one in three months. That's nice. Your insurance is going to love you. Yeah. 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 So that's fun. I don't think that that doesn't sound like fun to me. No, no, no. That's very annoying. But um, you know, whatever. You got to pay to play. Okay. So nice. it's just it's winter. I'm gonna try and hold off on repairing it until like spring, if it doesn't spread too far. It's already grown like four inches though. So I don't know how much longer I'm gonna build on that windshield. It's on the passenger. <laughs> it's like the exact same spot as last time. You have to drive. We, we've got a drive coming up to uh, across the state here pretty soon. Yeah, Walla Walla. Yeah. So I'm hoping to not change it until after that, at least, so I don't get another rock chip because I probably will. Yeah. I don't even follow close. It's just well, yeah. rocks. Rocks have no prejudice. No, they just Especially love the downforce. Especially your windshield, yeah. Yeah, downforce right into the windshield. Well, it's a good thing you don't have an expensive car with an expensive windshield. So other than that, right? you're fine. You know? So, I mean, it's good, yeah. Those those Kia windshields clean up real <laughs> right? nice. So, yeah. So. I remember I had to pay for a windshield in my Land Cruiser once, and I was going to go through insurance. I was like, oh, I'll just call and get a quote and see what it is out of pocket. It was like 250 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, to buy out of pocket. I was like, why? I think the most... Um, uh, Tom from Exotics had a, an S-Class, and I think he had to get... Rep- and it, what, that windshield is... Tens of thousands of dollars, something. Yeah, because there's a bunch of electronics in it and things like that. So yeah, as I say, the uh, Murcielago has a ten thousand dollar windshield yeah. as well, yeah. and that's just a flat piece of glass. I don't have a curb on them, but it's just you know they but only still, make one. It, it says Lamborghini on it, so therefore it's more expensive. <laughs> yep, and the only OEM glass. Yep, so, nice. Yeah, so other than that, it's been it's been good though. I'm I'm excited for Christmas. I got a lot of gifts. My my house has been like just a constant stream <laughs> of Amazon Prime trucks and UPS and FedEx. You posted on Instagram that you said. Uh, something about the fact how disappointed you are that none of your your gifts had barked yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little worried about the puppy that's probably dead in the presence. Oh, okay. but well, uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> puppy, dead puppy presence. That's not good. Well, they're not barking, so I'm assuming well, so, okay, you know, well, somebody didn't plan very maybe well. Maybe you got a lab rat. <laughs> so, who knows? But who knows? No, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm excited for Christmas though. It's a good year. My parents are back in town, so spending time. Oh, that's with them. right. They're, yeah. yeah, that's very great. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I can lead right into our Carter Subaru tip of the day, which is inspired by my broken windshield yet again. Okay. <laughs> so Have we already done this? No. Yeah, so there's a couple couple parts of this. The very basic thing is when you go for a trip over the passes or anywhere where there's a ton of snow, especially if you take a drive up to Banff this time of year, one, lower your insurance deductible for the winter if you've got a really crazy expensive windshield on a, on a car like that. And I do. I have a little reminder in my phone in October that pops out that says lower your, your comprehensive deductible because I go through a windshield every year because I drive my cars for fun in the snow year-round. Like, and I go through about a windshield a year getting rock chips because people don't have mud flaps. Thanks, everybody. Um, so, yeah, lower your insurance deductible for winter if you have a crazy expensive windshield. Two, you can prevent this by getting uh, a clear shield. There's a bunch of different companies that make them. Our friends at Metropolitan Next Door offer them. It's different prices for different cars. They do last about a year. Um, so if you take into factor, like, the inconvenience of replacing a windshield, um, go to your 
go to a good detail place. Do not go to like your bargain. This isn't something you really want to shop around on because it's your windshield and you need to see through it. Yes. And if you get it installed wrong, it'll bubble and look terrible. So any really, but anybody who really does a good job of clear bar install can typically do a really good clear uh, job of installing these. So highly worth it. Um, our friends next door at Metropolitan do a lot of our members here at Drivers Club, and they they do work. They do work really well. In fact, on the uh, endurance drive we did we think we went through like three windshields on that but uh <laughs> one of our local members here had that clear shield on his car and, and it did hit it but it saved his windshield well and you brought up a good point too something that i didn't think about that uh with new windshields you need to get new windshield wipers yeah it'll yeah. scratch the windshield it'll scratch yeah. your yep. windshield yeah so and it depends how long they've been on there like if you have brand new wipers and wiper blades and you get a new windshield do that but typically the edges are all worn away from sand and dust collecting them and hitting them and they'll actually scratch a brand new windshield you'll see it right away yeah like it's not it's not subtle if you don't do that you'll see it almost immediately the first time you use your windshield wipers it'll etch right in so replace your windshield wipers they're typically like okay they're stupid expensive because it's a porsche but so it's like 60 bucks a set for the ones (laughs) but the problem is is if you go with like the cheap aftermarket ones for really like really rainx ones or whatever they're um it's not even that it's just that if you have a car with a really swept windshield the oem ones typically the ones that fit yeah and so it's not like they're not i mean yeah they might be made by bosch because they're german or whatever but they're also shaped differently so it's actually kind of who get do get stuck buying the oem ones audis are notorious for this by the way and actually for the record most of the time your dealer actually has them for about the same price. So they're usually on most cars, 20 to five to 30 bucks at a dealer. Yeah. So they're usually not a huge ripoff just to go to your dealer and have them replaced. It's not always cheaper to go to your parts store and be like, haha, these were only 20. It's like, eh, you probably got ones that don't I, fit as well. I won this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last thing I was going to say is make sure you fill up your washer fluid. Um, I see this all the time. And in the last time I went to Banff and back in the winter, I went through two and a half gallons of it going there and back because there's just so much sand and crud on the roads. You know what it's like. A car, truck passes by you on the on the shoulder or whatever, and you're going to get just sprayed with all that dirty, misty, slushy water. So you're going to go through that stuff left and right. So this is the time of year. Check your washer fluid. It's usually a free fill-up if you do dealer service or it's uh, prepaid maintenance. Um, in most places that air any kind of service station that you do will fill it up often for free. Like if you get an oil change place, if you're into that, they'll usually fill it up for free too. But, you know, any store, keep a gallon in your trunk if you're going on a trip. I guarantee you go through it. Like uh, so, yeah. That's my tip of the week, Dave. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, I, I have to give a little shout out here. I've been doing a little bit of uh, upgrading on the Subaru because we all knew that was happening again. Um, and um, I want to I want to give another shout out to some guys that saved my butt. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago from the the boys at uh, Rack and Road and the manager Jamie Mayfield. Um, really, uh, they hooked me up. I uh, went in there looking. I sold my. I, you know, I've been thinking about selling the basket, the Yakima yeah. basket, which I love. It just wasn't big enough to carry everything up top. No, it was a good setup. It just wasn't. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It's just, it just, and I put the extension on and all that. But um, I ended up with one of the new uh, Yakima uh, lock and load systems, which is so cool. Um, and it's a platform that, that, I mean, and these guys, they're great because it's a little popular right now because they designed it, at Yakima designed it in Australia, and it's been on all this stuff. And so, you know, because, you know, I figure if, it, if they can cross the Outback in it, I should have it on my Subaru. Um, on your, and if only you had a Subaru Outback. <laughs> yeah, I know. They still made the Subaru Outback, yeah. Um, and so uh, they, it's over here now. It's a little hard to get. These guys sold me their display model. I really appreciate it. They, they treated me really well there. They're great guys. They're in Bellevue. They're right behind, they're right by Chick-fil-A. Yeah, but, they've been um, there for a long time. Yeah, they're just really good guys, It's and I'm really excited to kind of play with this but i wanted to tell them thank you and they listen to the podcast so you know yeah. thanks guys well i was yeah. admiring your rack i told yes. you today. as soon as i saw nick i said that's a lovely rack nick. yeah yeah well he, to He's be honest he out. says that a lot uh, so <laughs> like my eyes are up here dan so yeah 
So no, I know it looks quick, pretty quick, sweet though. Quick little shout out to that, but it's uh, if you are looking for an off-road rack, this is the, this new system is really cool. And I did a bunch of research. I danned it up, you know, I <laughs> researched a bunch of stuff. But this, it's a platform, and there's just so many ways to attach things to it. So I really like it. But uh, we'll have to test it out and beat the beat the heck out of it and see how it goes. Us never. We don't. I ever know, do that. right? Right. <laughs> And we actually have a guest this week mm. who's been very patiently laughing at us. <laughs> Why do they always laugh at us? Even when they just meet us, they just laugh at us. No. We have a face for a podcast. <laughs> yes, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Byron Sanborn from VRM, uh, Vintage Racing Motors. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank for you for being here. Oh, it's great. I finally get to see the place. Oh, yeah. Driver's yeah. Club is a sight to behold, for sure. You're familiar with a few cars in here. I mean, come I'm, on. I know the cars. You know, I just haven't been in the building. Mr. Carter brought you in here today. It was, uh, you guys have been friends for a long time. We've known each other for a very long yeah. time. You're known for a lot of things. I mean, vintage racing motors is uh, kind of a staple in the industry. You've got anything specialized in vintage, obviously. Yeah. Um, You've got uh, a very, very famous BMW 2002 that was on the lawn at Pebble Beach, which is not something you usually hear. I mean, that thing's like brand new for the lawn at Pebble Beach. Yeah, that, uh, I, I, I think I figured out that I was the newest judged car at Pebble Beach that year. <laughs> yeah. It was 1974. <laughs> the youngest car. Yeah. I was the youngest car, <laughs> nice. and it was a 1974. I, I think I beat Pete's uh, oh. CSL by about six months. Good. Oh. Peter, yeah. Peter, Peter Gleason. Gleason. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Peter Gleason. He... He got second place. I got third place, but uh, my car was newer than his by maybe well. six months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, if he won, it means he cheated. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. We were actually just up at Peter's collection. Yeah, Peter's he, he, a just, uh, previous so. guest. One of our excellent episodes for our guests who are listening. Peter Gleason is one of the ones. Usually when I tell people, they ask me about the show, I'm like, oh, listen to that episode. Like, you'll get to know what we're talking yeah. about. Great episode. So, hi, Peter. Yeah. We speak well to the British. Yeah. <laughs> we, tr we try to be really nice to Peter. He has, he has cool toys. Yes, he does have very he cool does. toys. Really cool but toys. he likes to share them. That's the important thing. That's the I best. Mean, and yep. he's, yeah, he's a lover of automobiles. He was very kind to me a couple of years ago. <laughs> I, got, I got to race his, uh, his uh, rally CSL at Monterey. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's cool. I was the lunatic that got to go Thank out. Thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> oh, it was it was tough. Somebody, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, somebody had to do it. Somebody well. had to be the slowest car in the grid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. nice. Byron, did you did you grow up in this area? Are you from here originally? I am originally from uh, the east side. East side, okay. Yeah, yep, Bellevue, and then we in the '60s, my dad uh, played with rockets for Boeing, and so oh, okay. we wound up in Alabama and Louisiana for a little while, and then came back. And when we moved back, we actually moved to Issaquah. So I, nice. um, I moved to Issaquah. Our family moved there in '68. Okay, it's changed a little bit, a little just, bit, just a little, little bit, bit. tiny bit of growth. Yeah, I've seen some of those photos. But have you always been the car guy? Like we, we always talk to people about that. Like, has that always been a passion? No, okay. no, I, I. I grew up as a musician. Okay. And Which you still are to this day, I, right? Yeah, I still play a yes. lot. Yeah. Um, no, I, I kind of, uh, when I learned to drive, my, my dad was a car enthusiast without having anything really spectacular in the day. I mean, he had a... He had a '66 Mustang convertible that he bought brand new. Okay, that's a cool car. It was very, Icon. it was very cool. That was that was really neat. And Mustangs and Corvettes if you work in aerospace, right? <laughs> that's <Well>, true. <laughs> da Dad did that, but he learned with my older brother that by the time it was my turn to drive, he drove a 1970 Volkswagen Beetle. Oh yeah, it's nice of your brother to mess you over like that. Yeah, nah, it's okay. <laughs> still a cool car. It's okay, my bro great cars. My yeah. brother and I are great friends, yeah. and so, so <laughs> that's as far as we're going to go here. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I, 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 when I learned to drive, I, I discovered I really enjoyed it. 
Sure. So I drove any, you know, it was all, please let me drive. I'll drive anything you've got anywhere. And, um, and then the, the deal in our household was you did not get to own a car until you graduated from high school. Uh, the parents would make stuff available, you know, a oh, car available okay. if you needed to do something. And they made cars available for me as much as possible. I played in a lot of musical groups. And as soon as I got my license, suddenly my father stopped having to lug me all the way to North Seattle for rehearsals on Monday nights and Bellevue for rehearsals on Tuesday nights and Renton on Wednesday nights and so on. <laughs> Uh, it, he supported you, but you could take your own drive now. Right. Yeah. Understood. He, he was perfectly happy to let me drive the Beetle to anywhere I wanted to go. Sure. So if he didn't have to sit there and wait for three hours. So you played small instruments. Yeah. <laughs> small ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and, and then when I graduated, it was like, okay, I'm going to look for a car. And, and uh, I had all sorts of desires for things. And what I wa- actually wound up with was a 1968 1600 BMW. Oh, that's a cool car. It was, you know, it was, well, this was 1973, so it was now five years old. Hmm. And Still. And I think, uh, I think I remember it was like, like $1,500 or something like that. It was something I could afford. But the big thing was my horns would fit in the trunk. Okay. You know, a 2002 or 1600 has a pretty large trunk. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, my horns would fit in the trunk. And so I, and uh, then that first, that first summer, the um, cause, because my father was a Boeing employee, um, he came home one, one day. My brother was a 510 Datsun owner. He's got a still has the 72 he bought brand new. That's cool. And uh, my dad came home and said, Oh, uh, the Boeing employees, uh, Auto Sports Club, BIAC. Oh, oh, it was the very he says, There's a, there's going to be a car club at Boeing, and he'd seen it in the newsletter, and he said, you should go. I know some of the people that are involved. So my brother and I went to the very first meeting. and um, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, there, this started, well, this was summer of 73. And he, um, uh, the guy who was the president was a two-time Solo 2 national champion in a Sunbeam Tiger. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And he and a bunch of his Ford friends decided that the, at the at this meeting they were going to throw a bunch of cones out in the parking lot and have a little autocross. <laughs> and Mike and I had never, my brother and I had never done it before, so we we learned, and I got hooked. And so I started autocrossing in July of '73, <laughs> and it's all been downhill since then. All been downhill since then. Yeah, yes. you know I've lost a lot. I a lot of uh, a lot of. Tire. I was going to say a lot of rubber and <laughs> parking lots. A lot of tire lots, yeah. and parking lots yeah. all over the country. Well, you're just doing your part. Yeah. You know, giving to it. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. I want to get kind of go from your autocross to, I mean, like you said before, you've, you, you've had some pretty interesting days of stepping out of small cars and into indie, indie cars and things like that. So I want to get into that. We'll all be right. right back after this. We spend an average of eight hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens, laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty for people who love cars. And we're back. (laughs) I totally missed my cue. That was entirely my fault. Welcome back, everybody. We're back with our guest, Byron Sanborn I didn't from get VRM. This time, though. 
And uh, we were just talking about racing and uh, how you went from autocross to uh, all over the place. You've driven everything under the sun. I've driven a lot of things. Yeah, more than the average person, more than the average race car driver. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I've I've got some experience that uh, transcends a few decades. Uh, Not just my decades, but um, I think the oldest thing I've raced is 1928. Wow. And... uh, yeah, some ground effects, Formula One cars and Can-Am cars and stuff over the years. So it's been a it's been an interesting you life. You, you've been in like 180 race cars in your life. Yeah, like I actually went back and and kept trying. And I I yeah. started a list early on, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I I kind of forget to upgrade it, upgrade it once in a while. So wow. I I think the last time I last time I checked was like 182 or 183, something like that. Again, thank you for your sacrifice. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a tough life. I mean, you know, somebody has to live it, though. Yeah. And I think you're living it to the most and, and the fullest. But yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we, we know you from, from VRM and Issaquah and things like that. But how did you kind of get to that point? I mean, you, you came out of school, you graduated from high school, and you were doing the music, musical thing. Had you always been a mechanical person growing up with your father and things like that? No, my dad always worked on stuff at home. And uh, just rockets I, I, at just, home. No. <laughs> no, I'm we, bringing home a booster. We we tuned <laughs> up hey, the Bruce. We, yeah. we tuned up the PV544 in the garage, yeah. Volvo, and the okay. uh, and the uh, 61 Chevy Bel Air and stuff. But no, it was I I bought the uh, the BMW. I bought a, the um, the 1600, and it was one of those. Okay, now you own the bloody thing, and if you can't work on it yourself, you can't you can't afford to own it. So, yeah. so I kind of started doing some stuff, and then one of the local guys in uh, the BMW club, because I joined the club. I was uh, going to say, I think you must hold a record here in the BMW club for like one of the longest memberships. No, as a matter of fact, we uh, the, the, there's there's four people that have been that are currently members who have been longer than I have. Okay, and and Dan is one of them, and he was kind of the club mechanic in those days. He lived in the U district, worked out of his basement. And I don't remember. I needed something, and at a meeting, he said, "I'll I'll help you if you come by that house." And and uh, he started teaching me, and I I became I became some some labor for him. I you know it was like, okay, I need some help pulling the gearbox out of this, whatever. So Dan kind of taught me to turn wrenches back in those days. That's yeah. funny because this Dan taught me how to turn. No, <laughs> yeah, I was just turning them the wrong way. That's all. <laughs> but it, but it all it all stemmed from that, and I you know, man, I got to the point where I was good enough at it that I started doing stuff for other people in the club, and but I was still I was just autocrossing on my own, and um, there was a guy who owned a tire and wheel shop in the mid '70s in Bellevue. It was kind of the the high end. Um, it was kind of the high entire wheel places where the Porsche people went. It was in the early days of P7 Pirellis. Okay. And, yeah. you know, we were, I believe at the time, we were the largest retailer of P7 Pirellis in the country. Oh, wow. Uh, Terry Flanagan had actually been a regional sales manager for Pirelli for a number of years and then opened this place. And we met Autocrossing, and he had a Sunbeam Tiger, and I pissed him off. <laughs> um, uh, this little, this little blue box BMW kept beating him. And we were in different classes, but we met, and I, I actually went to work for him for, uh, for a little while. And this was kind of college years and a few other things going on. And he 
came up with the idea that he thought the company needed to own and sponsor a race car. Oh. And given the fact that a large portion of our business was BMW-based and Porsche-based and stuff, he came up with the idea, well, let's build a 2002 and we'll go B-Sedan racing. And if you'll, if you'll help me build the car, you get to drive it. And I went, there's a downside to this? Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> Where's we, the part where I have to do something hard? Yeah. <laughs> and that was, uh, I think, our first race was summer of 78. Okay, yeah. And uh, was it, when did the year did the 2002 come out in the U.S.? Uh, 68. 68. Okay. 68. First so, production turbo car the, in, well, in 72, I think? 73 okay. was the first was the 2002 turbo was was basically it's a 74 model they built right. it from september of 73 to september of 75 yeah they built 1672 of them yeah but yeah but who's counting i mean yeah who <laughs> yeah who, who knows these things yeah um but we built we built Peter. the b sedan <laughs> and and so i convert i switched from being an autocrosser to a road racer in in 78 so i i pretty seriously autocrossed for about five years huh. and then um onto the racetrack we go onto the racetrack we go and i i quickly discovered that that i was um uh got to the point where i was more valuable as a mechanic than i was as a driver probably so i spent more time <laughs> at least at least i delude myself into thinking that i i I'd say it worked out okay for you. You know, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I did all right. And, it's too bad uh, that mechanic thing never paid off for you. But, yeah. uh, you know, don't you worry. It's going to click someday. Somebody's going to want you to work on their car. Somebody's going to want so, you to do that. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So, uh, and then, um, so we did that for a while. And um, into the 80s, we we got done with the B-Sedan car, and we built a we built a GT3 Scirocco Cool. Wadded, <laughs> wadded that thing into a ball <laughs> the first season. Yeah, it was oh. just big. You know, we won't get yeah, into that. Front-wheel drive problems. Oh. It's probably because you weren't <laughs> driving. That's the Mechanical problem. Mechanical injection. I'm glad I wasn't driving. Because, oh, sure. Because he's lucky he came out of that with his legs because that was, that was a big hit. Hmm. Um, guy in a Corvette did something really stupid in front of him and he never happened. Dan, you've owned Corvettes and Chiracos, right? So <laughs> yes, I, mean, I have. <laughs> Done stupid things in both. Yeah. Both of them, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. So then we uh, then we bought, um, 85, we bought a um, Mustang, brand new Mustang, a 5-liter. And we ran in the, uh, the, the SCCA ran a Sherwin Stock Endurance Series. The first year it was actually sponsored by Playboy. Okay. Huh. And then I think the second second year on for a little while it was sponsored by escort the radar detector people yeah yeah and then uh, then there was a a a mirror series that was being run by imsa that was um a little different rules because it was sponsored by firestone and it was the firestone firehawk endurance series it's a spec tire for everybody it was a spec tire for everything but only those things were hard as rocks yeah you know, but you know what? Everybody was on the same tire, so we, you know, yeah. it was everybody it was, had hard rock tires. Everybody yeah, yeah. had hard rock tires. Everybody slide in the same places. So we <laughs> did. Uh, we actually picked the Mustang up brand new, um, and I drove it from the dealership in Kent. We bought a Bowen scarf, drove it from the Ford dealer in Kent to a roll bar shop in Auburn. <laughs> I mean, it had five miles on it when I dropped it off. And they Start said, cutting it, it. It needs a roll cage. <laughs> yep. um, two weeks later, we had the thing prepped, and we had it in the trailer, and we headed for Riverside, and we, within th- 
within a month of buying that car, we were doing a six-hour endurance race at Riverside with it, and we learned a lot. Yeah, so those like, Fox bodies are a handful. Brakes sucked. <laughs> you don't need those while racing. Brakes, brakes were horrible. It, it, basically, you could go an hour and 20 minutes on a tank of fuel, and we could not get two tanks of fuel to a set of brake pads. We got really good at changing brake pads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the the restrictors. I know you can't see, but you should have seen his Byron's look to me like we got really good at changing <laughs> yeah, brake pads. There's a smile yeah. of pride yeah, exactly. there. Yeah. We were we were um, we were restricted on how fast we could fill. It was a gravity feed. We had to use a standard one inch unleaded fuel nozzle. Okay. So it took a, it took a minute and twenty seconds to fill the fuel tank. It took us a minute and five seconds to change brake pads. Oh. Yeah. We well, I mean, they weren't warm or anything, so you'd be fine. Oh, no, no, no. pretty no. easy to just reach yeah. in there and Kevlar pull them out. Gloves. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It, it got to the, after, about halfway through the second season, everybody got to know, okay, and we'd hey, it's been about the right amount of time. We had to go walk down and watch number six change brake pads. Those guys are fun to watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would be you. Okay. That was, that was us. We, and it, uh. So you were you were racing for this team, but were you working at the you were working at the tire shop as well? This was well after the tire shop. I oh. had, I had gone off and I'd I'd, I'd actually gotten a degree in music, a performance degree in music of all the stupid things to to have. <laughs> and when I got out of school, I had gone to work for the local BMW dealer. Okay. And I was line mechanic for the BMW dealer and spending my weekends off playing. Here's my music playing. degree. Can I work on those BMWs? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, okay, sure. Well, I just, no. you know, I had been frequenting the dealership for a very long time. They knew who you were. They yeah. knew who I was. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, ca- I, I mean, I came in kind of at the bottom of the bottom of the pile and just worked my way in. It was, awesome. it was great fun. And so we, we played the endurance stuff for a while. And, um, and then I decided that I wanted to go racing on my own. I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could actually do it. And so I started looking around going, okay. I want to race SCCA Nationals. I want to be competitive. I want to stand a chance at going to the runoffs and see how I can do. And then it became down to, okay, how much money do you have? And the answer yeah. was not yeah. much. Yeah. And so you do your research. You know, you do, you know, lots of people like to pick their race cars based on emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a Porsche guy. I'm a BMW guy. I'm a Alpha person. I'm a Mustang person, whatever. And for me, it was like, I need to be competitive. And so read the rule book, look at the results from the previous year, and figure out, you know, what, what cars are competitive in what classes, figure out what it costs to run those cars. And so I went looking through, and, and uh, one of the guys that we raced against in the Mustangs was a guy out of uh, Bend, Oregon, who owned the uh, Carrera Motors. Porsche dealer or Audi Volkswagen dealer down there. And Ted made me an offer. He says, I will sell you a Volkswagen GTI for our cost. And then based on how what races you run and how you finish, I will pay contingency money. You put my you put my name at the, at oh, the yeah. across the top of the windscreen and you run a SCCA regional race and if you if you win, I'll give you 200 bucks and I'll pay your entry fee. I went, 
Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds good, yeah. You Sounds like a sponsorship almost. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and if you finish second, he'll give you a hundred bucks in your entry fee, and if you finish third, he'd give you your enter- entry fees. So that's pretty darn good. Yeah. And nationals, it was like double that. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, this is okay. And he says, and if you win a regional championship, it's X amount of money, and if you win a divisional championship, all and if you qualify to the runoffs, yada yada yada. Yeah, it's a good win-win for both of you. It's like okay, and. Was I was I a Volkswagen GTI fan? Nope. I had never raced a front front wheel drive car in my life, but I looked it up, and in 19 this was this would have been in 1986, there were like 42 or 43 cars in showroom stock C at the at the runoffs, of which 30 or 32 of them were Volkswagen GTIs. And the first non-GTI to finish was in 12th or 13th place. And I went, okay. The G- There's something here. G- yeah. GTI <laughs> is obviously the car to beat. Yeah. So yeah. at least I'm not starting off at a mechanical disadvantage. Right. So prep it and drive it. And yeah. So we struck a deal and we did this. And I ran. I, I bought a brand new car from him. And and I ran uh, Northwest Region. Ran, and Northwest Region was a little bit more involved than they are now. I was also a dual member with Oregon Region. So I ran the regional championships in both both uh, uh, clubs. I ran the NORPAC division, which is up and down the West Coast, which is basically San Francisco North. Yeah. I won all three of them. Um, I qualified to go to the runoffs. Went back. I qualified ninth, finished sixth. Never had never been to Atlanta before. This is the cool. day, of, yeah. day of Atlanta. And I came back and ran that car again the following season in just up and down the West Coast. And I ran that car in 30, I think I ran that car in 33 races and I won 29 or 30 of them. And I So it's <laughs> too bad the Volkswagen didn't work for you. Um <laughs> I mentioned our sponsor, Carter, runs a Volkswagen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what? I, in, in all honesty, well, um, Carter Volkswagen was was very supportive. Um, I, I knew, uh, I didn't know Wade Carter Sr. at the time, but I knew his service manager, uh, Tom Stapleton, had been there for years and years. And uh, we, uh, so I needed some more, maybe I shouldn't say this on Okay. No, I'm not. It's it's been more than 20 years. It's okay. (laughs) 20. Statue limitations are off. Statue limitations are up. (laughs) I called him up, and there were a couple of times when I had some issues with the car. And um, actually, it was getting ready to go to Atlanta for the runoffs. I thought, you know, there's a few things I probably ought to freshen up to make sure that they're, they're ready to go. So I called Tom up and I said, "Hey, there's this there's this update thing they do on the gearboxes that keep them from blowing up and." And he, and he goes, oh, yeah, bring bring him in. Bring the car in. We'll, bring your we'll, race car in. Bring your race car in. And I said, no, you, do, you don't understand this. I got other work to do. I will bring you the gearbox. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the... I think the brake, the the soft brake lines were actually. I was using them. I was 
making so much brake line pressure, I was actually pushing brake fluid through the hoses. Oh, they were, they were wow. like wet. So I said, can you warranty me a set of brake hoses? <laughs> warranty me a gearbox and a couple of other things. So I walked in there and just dropped this stuff off. And about a week later, I came back and collected all my parts and put them back on the car. I've been daily driving this to the store, and these parts seem to be somewhat malfunctioning. Um, yeah. The brake fluid keeps boiling inside exactly. the lines. Yeah. It's, in, it, it's it. downhill to the store. It's um, exactly the way it was. And I was like, I, yeah. that's exactly the way it was. Fair enough, yeah. So, yeah. so they were very kind to me. Okay. There seems did. to be some wear yeah. on this third gear. Yeah. I, you know, and the, and the showroom stock rules were uh, quite interesting because you, the preparation, you know, you think, oh, you know, what can you do? And there's lots of things you can do. Um, some of them are legal only because you you understand how testing is done okay um the rule was engine specifications you couldn't you 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 couldn't even put a first oversized piston in it if you had to rebuild the motor you were in trouble yeah um things like tune-up specifications ignition timing fuel mixture all the rest of that stuff is based off the factory book and it's and the rule is you have to show up, in, in, for Sharm Stock people, you had to show up with a copy of the factory repair manual. And whatever that repair manual said is what the car had to be. Well, you flip through. I was going to say, boy, that's nothing that could be changed, that repair manual. No, no, no. <laughs> but you flip through the book, and it's things like ignition timing. Well, it says six degrees at idle, plus or minus two degrees. It doesn't talk about how much total advance there is, what it, it's. At 800 RPM idle, this is where it's set, and it's and of course it's all controlled by an electronic module right. for ignition timing. So, okay, six to eight degrees. Well, eight degrees was worth a couple of horsepower, and in a hundred horsepower Volkswagen GTI, a couple of horsepower is a big Different. big deal. Yeah. So you made sure you were at eight, not six. And then I happen to have a friend who, she had been the service manager at BMW that hired me. She had moved on and she was a district service rep for Volkswagen at the time in the Bay Area. And she showed up to the race I was down there and she goes, I've got something from you. And she handed me this little Bosch box. Well, that's kind of interesting. Opened it up and it was an ignition control module for a GTI Volkswagen. And I went, well, it's not a bad idea to have a spare, but it's got a warranty tag on it. So why do I want a warranty part? And she goes, read the failure. And I looked at it and it said, excessive pinging. That box had like three and a half or four degrees more electronic advance in it ah. than, than the one I had in the but car. But it's a stock. It's a, it's stock. a stock piece, yep. unmodified. Yep. And the only number that they looked at, the only number they legally could test me for was idle advance. Right. <laughs> that sucker went in there. <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah. Uh, Somebody else's problem was your your exactly yeah. yeah there's there's lots of things and you know just understanding how the system works you know how the car works and then how the the the, the rule book stuff works and I had a competitor who was for a couple of years um, kind of angry that he couldn't keep up <laughs> and I once actually offered him and said you give me your car for a weekend and I will do everything to your car I've done to my car so I'm not going to tell you what I did yeah but I'm, <laughs> you know I'm not I'm, I'm not yeah. going to tell yeah, you yeah. share I, my secrets I yeah. will do 
he ne- he wouldn't he never took me up on it. <laughs> okay, that's whatever. his problem. Foolish yeah. pride. Yeah. yeah. So how did you make the jump with, from Volkswagen GTIs to <laughs> literally getting in the seat of Formula One? Because I mean, I mean and I'm not saying racing Formula One. I mean, I don't want to make yeah. that distinction, but I mean, the opportunity driven, to drive, the opportunity yeah. to even drive those cars is unheard of outside of like being Chris Harris on Top Gear. I I, I lucked out. I'm an, a neighbor of, of my parents. Uh, they they had moved in after I'd left left home. Was a gentleman who actually owned with he owned it, but his brother-in-law worked on it. And drove it for him. He drove. He had a um, what was called a King Cobra, which is basically a Cooper Monaco 1964. Oh yeah, yeah. Cooper Monaco with a 289 Ford stuffed yep. in the back of it. Okay. Mm. And this was one of the cars that um, uh, Albert Al Holbert's dad, Bob McDonald, um, uh, Bob Holbert drove back in the day. And real long story. The car was in L.A. Jim. Needed the car, picked up in L.A. and brought north. Uh, now, you understand, Jim is 6 feet 10 inches tall. <laughs> he does not fit in a, in a Cooper Monaco very well. So he didn't know anybody that had a trailer, a truck and a trailer, and the ability to transport it, a place to keep it, the ability to work on it, somebody that could drive it. And he, we were friends, and he said, let's go do this. So we did. Went down to L.A., picked up the car, brought it back. It sat around for a while. And then there in 1985, 86, 86, I guess, um, they did a vintage car race around the Tacoma Dome. Huh. It was the Tacoma Grand Prix. They did, um, there was like a Winston West NASCAR group, and there was a Pro Sports 2000 group, and a vintage group. And, he, and Jim heard about this, and he says, we should go do this. <laughs> I'd never driven a car before, so but what the heck, let's go do it. So we did, and went, and we were paddocked inside, inside the Tacoma Dome, actually. We raced around it. I'm still not a big fan of racing between concrete barriers yeah, no. in, in aluminum-bodied cars. That's not, that's not. <laughs> oh, that well, sounds safe. It, it, it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. And we wound up being paddocked next to a gentleman who had a, um, uh, a Mark Seven Elva sports car with a little Coventry Climax four-cylinder in it and it wasn't running very well and we were doing okay and so he was like right there and so we helped get it going and um, he completed the event and we completed the event and all was well and good and a year later when that event came around again this was before Sovereign was going um, the race the event happened again and we down there for the race and Lo and behold, who's paddock next to us is this poor guy with this green Elva, and it's broken again, and helped get it going, and he made it through the weekend, and so we did. So did we. And uh, about a month and a half later, I got a phone call, and it says, hey, uh, you live in Issaquah, and we're in Issaquah. Could you help us keep this thing running? And I went, all right, let's, uh, let's go talk to this gentleman. Didn't have didn't have a clue who he was. He was just this guy, and I expected to find a Elva, a broken Elva in the garage that you've I, worked on before. That I'd yeah. worked, that yeah. I'd seen, yeah. that yeah. I'd seen the car. Yeah. Familiar yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, I walked into the garage and opened the opened the door, and my jaw hit the floor because there sat a Lamar bodied Allard and an AC Bristol and a 
T332 center seat Can-Am car and a Mark Mark uh, II uh, McLaren Can-Am car and a broken Elva. And I went, uh, all right. How about that? How about that? So I, st- I started doing some work for him part-time. Uh, and I was still working at the dealership. And I was working a swing shift. I was working a four, ten-hour swing shift thing so I could have my, I had my days to do things and I had long weekends and so um, uh, it uh, I did that for about maybe the better part of three years and his collection grew and I started doing more and more stuff for him and it got to the point where I was working 35 to 50 hours more a week. hours there <laughs> 35 <laughs> to 50 hours a week for him and yeah. then staying at work and so in he um uh, Summer of '89, I I went to work for him full time. Nice. And Vintage Racing Motors it became an entity about six months later. You created a business you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we we it's good to be needed. <laughs> we started this in, in what is now my house. It was his garage at the time in a residential neighborhood. I mean, I literally drove. M8 McLaren Can-Am cars up and down the street in a residential neighborhood. You would be my favorite neighbor in the world. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Could you make some more noise, please? I'd grab a lawn chair and a drink. I'd just sit out there. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My next-door neighbor raced an MGTD and then later a 356 back in the early 60s, and he was my best friend. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, anytime one of the other neighbors would start making making complaints about what, what was all the noise, especially in the summertime, and he goes, oh, it was a boat out on the lake. Don't worry about it. It was... <laughs> It's a big boat. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget. We were having a, a, a get-together at my place in Kirkland, and I had a bunch of friends over, and there was a lot of nice cars in the driveway because just being car guys, a lot of my friends drive really nice cars. So there's you know, McLaren out there, Lamborghini out there, a bunch of other stuff. And I have this neighbor who does walks up and down my street. He's probably like in his late 80s. Oh, he, I know this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, um, Chinese, speaks no English. So the nicest guy. He waves to me every time he walks by. But he stood out there in my driveway, and I've never really talked to him before because he doesn't speak English, and he's just like... Just look, just looking. And he just wanted to just sit and look. And I'm like, I've never talked to this guy in my life. He's, he's always so nice every time he walks by. But I was like, you know, it was the first time I like officially met him. It was like a handshake and then a bow. And then he's just like, he's just like giving me the thumbs up. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> Thank you for coming to the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Don used to bring his grandson over when they when they come and visit. And uh, Brandon would come over and he'd sit in the race cars while we were working on him. And uh, we we actually restored uh, that Lamar bodied Allard in that garage and one of the first drives it took was with brandon in the passenger seat <laughs> straight pipes all you know uh, 300 352 cubic inch hemi in the front of this thing straight pipes up this up the street right in front of the house but you do have this this unique gift i mean uh wade carter was saying he's like you know when you meet him he goes you're gonna understand he's the kind of guy that could you know build you a re- restore a car to you to the point where you put it on pebble beach he says but then he'll take it the next day and take it to the racetrack he said that's you know so I, it's that's a real compliment I, the fact I, I, it is I'm, yeah i am i'm not a car show person no um the Although you've done pretty well at Pebble, yeah. well, <laughs> you know, being not a car show person, <laughs> just okay. that little event. Okay, we need, you're we a meticulous need, lover of cars, though. We need to talk about the 2002. I yes, guess. yeah, we do. <laughs> I first saw a 2002 Turbo when I, I did a driver's school at the Nurburgring for three days in 1974. 
was green okay. hell. Yeah. 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 And it was a it was the first year the the United States BMW Club people were invited over. Yeah, that's way before the redesign. We'll let the, the Americans come over. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so you had that crazy corner in the whole nine. Yeah. Yep. And we and basically they they broke it up into sections. So we'd we'd spend a couple hours in a section and then move on and do a you know and so then at the very end we finally got to kind of link it all together. But I would never call it that we really drove you know learned the track. We learned yeah. bits and pieces of it. And they, uh, there was a group of Americans that went over, and there was 25 or 30 of us. And we basically met at the, at the factory in Munich. And part of the deal was they supplied the cars. And they basically said, uh, there's a parking lot out there. There's keys and everything. Just go to the end of something. And you're going to drive it from Munich to the Nürburgring. And you're going to spend three days flogging it. And then you're going to drive it back, and you're going to drop it off. And we're going to pay for the fuel and everything. on. And... This is I like, must have missed this that is email. like uh, no, um, no yeah. kidding this was the deal of the century yeah um, but anyway we were there picking up our cars and I hear this funny little whistling noise and I in between <laughs> the buildings goes this little white blur and it was a 2002 turbo and in the United States at that time I didn't even know they existed mm. and it turned out that one of our instructors a guy by the name of Rudy um, had one. So the first time I ever sat in one was a lap around the Nürburgring with, with Rudy. Good place to start. It was, it, was, yeah. it was pretty impressive. Now, I didn't get to drive it, and I lusted after one for a very, very long time. And so fast forward 30-some-odd years, and in 2001, I found out about a car that was in pieces. Um, the engine had been wounded in 1985 in England. Car hadn't run since. And uh, had broken the cylinder head, yada, 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 couldn't find another one. And the guy who owned it, he and his father own a really, really well-known vintage race car restoration shop in England. They're very bright people. And and, uh, Rick, was at the shop. It was just before Monterey in 2001, and he walked into the shop and and he saw a couple of M10 BMW motors apart. And he goes, "Oh, do you know anything about 2002s?" <laughs> and when everybody in the shop picked themselves up off the floor from laughing so hard, um, <laughs> he told me the story that his son had this turbo and he couldn't find a cylinder head for it. And I said, "Well, a cylinder head's not a finagle." We'll stop this story here. But anyway, I wanted to buy in the car as it was and brought the thing over. And I thought, I'll build an engine. That's what I do. I'll build an engine. I'll have a running 2002 turbo in a you know, couple of months. <laughs> that was 2001. I actually drove it for the first time in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good turnaround. I started looking at it, and the uh, emission creep took over. Yep. Excuse me. <coughs> mission creep took over. And I uh, wound up going down to bare metal. And I told myself that I was not going to have a garage queen. And uh, I have a garage queen. Um, <laughs> but it took, me, it took me a number of years to get it done because, you know, the cobbler's kid, you know, the cobbler's kid's shoes things. You know, I work yep. on other people's cars all day long. Last thing you want to do is go home and work on yours. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
and or worse yet, drink it, drag it to the shop and sure. have it sitting there. Have everybody looking at me like you're working on your car, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe. So yeah. Uh, so I finally finished it in just in time to do uh, uh, the local BMW Club Concours, and and it's it is or was the very first turbo ever in the Seattle area. Uh, there's now five or six. Um, start a movement. Yeah, we start a movement. <laughs> yeah, I can think of three of them right off the top of my head. Yeah. Right. Four, actually. And, and uh, so we we did that, and that was in 2010. And then the Pebble Beach thing happened. And again, I have to thank Peter. I mean, it was, it was a big part of that. Um, in 2016 was the 100-year anniversary of BMW. So there was a big deal at Monterey for that. There was a big deal at the racetrack, but there was also enough at Pebble Beach that they had two classes for BMWs, pre-war and post-war. And they wanted a turbo. They, 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 they had specific cars that they were looking for. And I got the phone call. I, you know, and I'm a racetrack guy. I don't, I don't go to concourse. I, mean, I go to concourse to drop cars off and get the heck out of there. Yeah, and go back to the, go back to the track. Yeah. I, mean, I, had, I had five BMW race cars at the racetrack being played with yeah and i got a phone call and basically a request would you, you know would you consider bringing your turbo down for pebble beach and i went and you know there's not another nice turbo closer to pebble beach than seattle i wasn't going to turn them down i hauled the thing down there and i stood on the lawn at pebble beach and so feeling so out of my element it was ridiculous <laughs> welcome to our world down yeah. there <laughs> the oh no 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 when st- I'm going to drop a name. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> we've had a gentleman from England come drive for us a couple of times. Even when we've taken a couple of cars to England to play with, he's gotten in cars for us. And his name's Sterling Moss. Never oh. heard of him. Who? Okay. You know, yeah. Sterling, Sterling Moss drove up in a in Is a he golf. one of those guys that doesn't like to drive with windshields? <laughs> he doesn't like to drive with windshields. He doesn't like to drive with anything but loafers, no yeah. socks, uh-huh. and no seat belts. I've heard about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when he drives up in the golf cart and goes, what are you doing here? Oh, <laughs> nice to see you, he's, too. He's, 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 a, he's a wonderful man. <laughs> and there were a number of people, because I, I know a lot of people that do yeah. that car show stuff. There's like, what are you doing here? You never come to these things. And, <laughs> and when, you know, there was a bunch of really cool stuff there. And like we, like we joked earlier, I think I had the newest car yeah. on the, judged car on the lawn. And... Um, you know, I would have put myself probably fifth or sixth of the cars in the post-war BMW group. And about noon, our handler came up. And uh, there was a guy that just was our contact with the powers that be. And he walked up and he looked at me right now and he says, I have the list. I went, what list is this? <laughs> okay, I'll take a cheeseburger. I had, uh, <laughs> I had no idea what he was yeah. talking about. He says, I've got the list, and you're on it. And then I figured it out. Mm. I was so absolutely stunned, I didn't ask who the other people on the list were. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm on it. I mean, I, I just thought, well, you're kidding, right? Yeah. And, um, and then about three hours later, um, there was a 507, and then Peter, mm. Peter's yeah. Fjord Blue CSL and I were ushered up, and 
I got third place, and Peter got second place, and and this absolutely stunning 507-1. Shock. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking. And, and you, and you I, built an engine? For, you, you, you built the engine from scratch? You said you, you, you said you couldn't find a cylinder for it. Did I you, couldn't find a cylinder head, yes. I, it, basically, the cylinder head on a turbo is... I don't mean to go off on that, but that, that, it, we kind of grazed over that. You're like, oh. yeah, so I bought the car, and then I restored it, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cylinder head isn't... isn't if you look it up in a parts catalog, there's a unique part number for it. But the cylinder head casting is just a standard casting that was then machined and some modifications were done to it. So all I had to do was find a good casting, then you're good to go. And then, and then copy that. Okay. As it turned out, uh, I actually wound up finding a, a factory head uh, out of Germany. Huh. Um, but anyway, I didn't actually have to do the work, but I was able to come up with one. Cool. But. Uh, it's just been a, it's been a question on the back of my mind while you've been talking. I'm like, right. wait a minute. I mean, in, in order to get to Pebble and Pass and get third, it's got to be pretty authentic. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, and uh, the part that was funny was there were a couple of the judges um, ask a few questions, and which they're supposed to do, and they they judge you and then they go away and they do their little confab and, yeah. and then they and they walk on and you don't know what they. And one of the guys came back and he pointed. There's a filler strip around the windshield and the rear window glass that on a normal 2002, it's plastic, but it's chrome. Okay. But the turbos, it's black. And he walked up and he pointed to that and he says, um, can you explain this? And I said, well, it's, it's turbo. It's supposed to be black. And he says, do you have documentation? And I went, oh, geez, I didn't even thought about that. You know, I, again, I don't. No, it's in my brain. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't play. And so I whip out my cell phone and I pull up Real OEM, which is a, like an online um, parts catalog. Because yeah. I knew that if I found it, it under Turbo, it list, literally gave a number and the description and it says black. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, no, 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 that'll be great. But you're, but you're not pulling my leg. And it turns out that, there, that the BMW classic group which is the factory restoration group had just restored elvis presley's 507 and it was there it was parked right behind us thank god it wasn't judged it wasn't entered in the judge class i would have pushed somebody to fourth i don't know who but well (laughs) that that plus the calder csl was there yeah oh so so these guys are all huddled back behind us and the judge actually walked over and grabbed one of the classic guys and mumbled something in his ear who my buddy had heard and, and, the, and to confirm that, yes, it was supposed to be black or not. <laughs> and, uh, uh, don't mind me, just prove the judge was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And when, when was the next time they were going to, you know, the Pebble Beach judges are, are going to see a 2002 of any type? As a matter of fact, that is the only time a 2002 has ever been on the lawn at Pebble. I was going to say, if it comes back again, I'll probably call you and Peter anyway. I think yeah. by the time it's time for BMW to come back, I'll be dead. <laughs> so somebody else will have to worry sombering about it. Sombering moment, but okay. Well, it's on <laughs> that sombering. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah on that great. sombering yeah, great. moment, let's take our next break. We're yeah. a little overdue for that, but we will be right back after this message. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. Dan, did you have something you wanted to say? (laughs) 
Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Where we left Sorry. off. <laughs> Talking about Pebble Beach. Um, I did we work well together. <laughs> yeah. Since we are a car show about people, I did want to actually ask you more about the musical side of you. Because it is a big part of you. Is you went to, went, what you went to college for. I mean, there's got to be more. And I, now you're still active in that. I do. I still play. I decided that, or I discovered that if you want to be a professional musician in Seattle, you you really need to be into the poverty scene. Um, I'm a low brass player. Um, I would have pegged you as more of an oboe kind of guy, but no, yeah, I mean, oh, no, so, no, no. You know. <laughs> so. no, 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 never, never get brass players started on woodwind, woodwind jokes. <laughs> woodwind jokes. Ooh, oh sharks and jets. You yeah. betcha. You betcha. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're the ones that sit in the back row and cause them hearing loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I orchestra fight. Oh, exactly. <laughs> we, uh, I enjoy. I like living in Seattle and. The opportunities back in the 70s for professional, full-time professional musicians in Seattle. Um, it, even today, it's not it's not huge. There's lots of people that play, but everybody does part-time stuff. You know, if you're a if you're a bass trombone player in Seattle, uh, there's one full-time paid gig, and Steve Fissel has it. Um, the Seattle Symphony. I was going to say, yeah. it's Seattle the Symphony. Only one I know of. <laughs> you know, there's one tuba player who who's, who knows his his rent's going to get paid, uh, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And uh, I, the car thing kind of kind of overwhelmed it. I went to work for the dealership and um, got going on that, and uh, I literally stopped playing for the better part of five or six years just because the car racing was consuming all my time is after VRM started mm-hmm. and I started having, a, a, you know, a, a decent paycheck and, a, and I worked normal days and stuff and I decided I wanted to start playing again. So I, I found local groups to get involved in volunteer stuff and stars. So I started playing again and that's been, uh, it's kept me sane and the, part that's really funny about it is most of the car people don't know about the music and most of the music people don't know about the cars um when i was in college i made it a point not to let anybody at school know that i knew anything about cars because i didn't want to be the guy laying under every dead volkswagen in the college parking lot (laughs) and so i i actually even have my first roommate college dorm roommate at western had a 100 ls audi (laughs) And uh, it was broken more than it was fixed, and I would, I would make small suggestions as I walked out the door, <laughs> and I never once laid a hand on that car. But oh, that's probably smart. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So you okay uh, over there, Dan? Just thinking of tech support. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you work in computers? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Jared yeah. over there, uh, the nod in his head. <laughs> He's like, "Yep." Yeah. I uh, I made it a point. Nobody knew, and. You know, as you can see, I, I live in, in uh, car event T-shirts and polo shirts. And, uh, you know, you can you can tell what I what I own and where I've been. Dan, are you looking at your future here? Yep. <laughs> I'm a present, you mean? Yeah, your presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, one day I woke up and I discovered that, you know, I was headed off to the music building. And the only clean shirt I had in the drawer was this black T-shirt that had a giant gold emblem on the front that said JPS. 
and uh, on the back it said John Player Team Team Lotus. Yeah, and cool I went, shirt. Oh. I said, uh, I said I cannot wear a car shirt into the music building. I so I pulled on a windbreaker and figured when nobody'd figure out what the JPS was, and as long <laughs> as they couldn't see the John Player Team Lotus on the back. So I was walking through the music department, and somebody goes, "Hmm, cool shirt. What's the JPS stand for?" And I thought about it for a second. Went, "Oh, John Philip Souza." <laughs> well played well played yeah except for they wanted to have one oh. they, they don't make them anymore limited yeah. edition uh yeah, yeah limited edition yeah. you yeah. can't have them anymore yeah, so. if anybody hasn't seen the jps bmws the 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 famous one is the six series black on gold livery and right. it is beautiful yeah. i think it's still to this day one of my favorite racing designs it's simple. It's like if you're looking for like the epitome of car logo and style, that's it for me from the Touring Car Series. I, I totally agree. And, and I have to admit that that particular car in that particular um, paint scheme is the only E24 I care for. Right. Yeah. I'm not an E24 fan. Looks Most good in that paint scheme, though. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. Um, my problem with BMW and the E24 is they stopped building the E9 to build the E24, and I never forgave them for that because I think the rightfully e, so the E9 <laughs> is the prettiest. Good thing you don't hold grudges. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Not in, not in the least. And but uh, um, in the early days of Sovereign, we did uh, uh, on Saturday evenings they do a big barbecue for all the entrants and stuff. Yeah. And uh, a local gentleman and his wife, who are uh, charter members of Sovereign, uh, Tom and Susan Armstrong, yeah. uh, have become, became very good friends. And they found out that I was a musician, and they used to come and hear uh, one of the groups that I play in. They, they came to the concerts, and it's a, it's a it's a wind ensemble. It's a band. It's a and so they um, they came up with the idea that wow, we should have your group come play for a concert for the the barbecue on Saturday night. It's great. You know, it's a pay gig, pay gig for the band. And so I'm at the track all day long working and stuff. And the band comes in and gets all set up and I get done doing what I'm doing. I step into the trailer, change out of my work clothes into a tuxedo, <laughs> grab a euphonium and walk out the, walk out the trailer <laughs> And about 300 sovereign people just went, what? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, do it again, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew. That's, 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 that's was, your phone booth. Huh? It was, it was, yeah, okay. it was pretty really cool. Sh- it was pretty shocking. It was, it was a lot of fun. And it's, it's, it's grown. A lot, a, lot of, a lot more people know now. And I've got a lot of, a lot of car friends who come to concerts and stuff. So, so Yeah, that'd be fun. fun. Yeah. I love live music. Any live music, I love. I don't care what it is. If it's... It's just fun to go see live music, so yeah. I would love to Dan's see that. Dan's a big car. ukulele fan. It's a weird big thing. Time. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's I can find you a ukulele. I was going to say, sure. you've been to Hawaii? Sure. No, Hell yeah, I'm a ukulele <laughs> fan. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than hanging out by a beach makes with somebody else play he, the ukulele. But he likes them more because it makes him feel like a giant. It's, it's a weird thing, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can give away all my secrets. <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rushing nesting dolls and ukuleles, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, <so. Jeez. laughs> the next episode I'm gone for is going to be a mess. It's going to be great. <laughs> no, I think Jared, Jason's preparing for that. Right, so I'm yeah. sure he is. Yeah. So um, what is the big question I, I'd love to ask people who are, have been doing this a long time? What's your favorite car you've driven? Or, or one that pops into mind? There's always, there's always like four oh or five. My, but oh, like, my goodness. Um, probably... Probably the one I feel most honored to have driven was um, a uh, Mark I Scarab. Um, a gentleman in Wisconsin 
uh, Augie Pabst, mm-hmm. um, still owned the car. He raced back in the 50s. Uh, Reventlo built, Lance Reventlo built three of these things. And uh, Augie and uh, Augie and Bruce are good friends. And one year, uh, Augie, the scarab, was, it was time for some maintenance work. Not a, not a full pop restoration, but basically take it down to the bare frame and, and, and work on some stuff. And he was kind enough to send it out to Seattle, and I got to spend a winter tearing apart the Fun. coolest thing that was the absolutely most fabulous car that was built in the late 50s. And got it all put back together, and Augie, Augie came out here and ran it at the Seattle Historic Races that summer. And then we sent the car back, and he ran it at, uh, in Wisconsin at Road America, which is his home track. And we wound up out there in September for, a, uh, for another vintage race because it was a big Elva feature. And Augie was there, and I showed up, and he goes, hey, you want to drive the Scarab? Hmm. Twist my arm, please. Yeah, yeah, because I definitely wasn't driving it when it was back home. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> well, I threatened him. He he wasn't sure he was going to come out for the historic event. Um, that was also the year that Pete Lovely had just fin and Butch Dennison had just finished the restoration on the Testarossa. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Pete was there, and um, and we thought it'd be really cool to get Augie and Pete in the Testarossa and the Scarab on the track together and Augie's business stuff. It looked like he wasn't going to make it. And I said, you do understand that he goes, well, just send the car back to me. And I said, no, you don't understand. It's been a part. It needs to be tested. It's either going to be you or me. And he flew out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <sorry. laughs> and Calling up, canceling his flight. Oh, yeah. yeah, you can't make it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he so he came out and ran it for the weekend, and uh, then we sent it back to him. And it, but when we when we saw him again in September, I got a chance to drive it. So that's that's right up there. Yeah, it's automotive history right there. Yeah, that's so. yeah. Um, I don't know the 917. I, you know, one of the first things, one of the first. Oh, just those three little numbers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one of the first cars, um, one of the one of the first. Well, the first Can-Am car I ever drove was an M M2 McLaren, and it yeah. is still probably the wildest bucking Bronco I've ever been in. It was, you know, grab this thing by the nap of the neck and try not to let it kill you. Uh, it went through turn one at Seattle, and this was back before. This is the old track. Yeah. You know, when turn nine actually went out onto the front straightaway. And the uh, turn one, there was no barrier down the right-hand side of the track. And there's that access road that comes through yep. the gate. Okay. Where the pavement seam for the racetrack goes around the corner, you had to straddle you had to put two tires on either side of that line to go through there. And the thing went through there like the Miss Budweiser bouncing from Sponson to Sponson. <laughs> and we discovered it needed a little bit of, you know, little chin spoiler and a little more rear ducktail on it to settle it down. And the owner of the car was in a uh, center seat, Lola Can-Am car behind me. And we were going down the front straightaway. And, um, Tom Armstrong in his Lola and, and 
there were three of us. The, the, the Can-Am race was three cars. And we were, we were all just having fun, and we were all swapping around, just, you know, you lead, I'll lead. And, yeah. And we came out of turn nine, and I fully expected the 332 Lola to just sail past me down the front straightaway, and I kept waiting for it to happen. And you can't see a lot out of the rearview mirrors of those things. I kept waiting for it to happen, waiting for it to happen. No Lola. Okay, so we get down to turn one. Okay, I'm I'm committed. I got to I got to drive my line. So I went through there, and when I finally got on the brakes and started to turn in for turn two, I discovered that the Lola was 20, 25 car lengths back. He was barely coming through turn one. And after after the race, I said, "What happened?" And he says, I was behind you, and I was watching what was going on, and I did not want to be there when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> and it was his car. <laughs> so we, uh, uh, that, we, we put a little chin spoiler on it, and we didn't know how much it was going to take. We went, yeah, let's just, you know, we'll just fiberglass up something. We'll just make a nice little, you yeah. know, look like the old Pete Brock 510 Dotson chin yeah. spoiler. Yep. We didn't know how thick to make it or how close to the ground to make it or whatever. And so we put this thing on there. And first time down the front straightaway, I'm going, I smell fiberglass. <laughs> <laughs> I smell fiberglass. <laughs> Basically, it's the, working. The, the entire front of the car was mounted on, on two pins that stuck out of the tub. And I had bent the pins, <laughs> sucked the nose to the ground, pulled the spoiler down, and, and the spoiler it's actually had a lip on the front of it, and it carved it off. The thing was like a knife edge. Yep. <laughs> I said, okay, we can trim this back. <laughs> we have enough. The ground trim it, trimmed it back a little bit. We, yeah. have, we, have, a, we yeah. have a ground effects McLaren Mark II. <laughs> <laughs> you don't funny. see those every day. Yeah. No. My, yeah. my, my engineering skills are not the greatest in the world. <laughs> Sounds like it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, hey, it didn't lift anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It didn't yeah. lift anymore. Same so yeah. one with the ground. Yep. Yeah. I don't yeah. need brakes. It seems to be slowing down on its own. So I had to take the body off and straighten the the oh, uh, the, pins? The, the, the body mount yeah. points. <laughs> oh, wow! That's a really good story. There are so many more stories. I wish we had more time to get into. We do need to talk about uh, our. We need to switch gears a little bit and talk about Avance. Okay. Um, so uh, there are no events this week as the it's Christmas. Yeah, Hang spend out. time with your family, you bloody animals. Or your friends that are your family if they're not around. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Focus on yeah. Christmas and go give something back. Um, but after that, January 4th, uh, 2020, the new year first event will be Yvonne's Tech Session and Carding with Bristow's Auto Repair. Mm. Um, they're down in Tacoma. And then, um, let's see, where's the carding? Well, there's carding that day, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> It says it on the uh, on the invite or whatever or the events uh, page, but who knows? Yeah, it shows Bristow's Auto. That's where the meet is. Yeah. Uh, okay, then you're going to Grand Prix Raceway in Tacoma for some karting. Yeah. So that'll there you be go. Fun. Yeah, that'll be always always fun to do uh, Avant's uh, little competition competition there. So, uh, as usual, most Avant's events fill. Uh, they're usually all filled up if you don't register early. I don't know if you're why you wouldn't be an Avant's member at this point after listening to us for so long. They d I think they did that big event down at Grios last weekend. They did. That was really cool. Yep. So, yeah. Ceramic wax. Yeah. Um, Have you dress. tried that yet? No, I haven't got the okay. Grio stuff yet, yeah. and I will be. Yeah. Um, we got to try it. Yeah, yeah. we will. Yeah. So, yeah, but anyway, everybody should sign up for that. Everybody should be an Avance member and go check that out. Go-karting, tech sessions, fun stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. All that fun stuff. And I need another sweatshirt, Adam. Wow. Because <laughs> he he's like you. He wears it all the time. I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, my, it's my little yeah. uniform. Yeah, just just because it's winter, and that's why he's wearing flannel. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't bought a shirt in years. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> Come to think, I don't know if we have either. Uh, <laughs> I bought this one. 
Yeah, but that's a nice shirt. I'm talking about the undershirt. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Have, I don't think I bought a T-shirt. All my drivers' club ones are dirty right now. That's the only reason I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Either way, drivers' club or Avant's every time. Sure. So yeah, he sticks to it. We really appreciate you coming in and telling these stories. It was incredible. Um, you know, we hope you'll come back sometime because this is just. I mean, I'm I'm still laughing about some of the stories we were having uh, on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Audience members contributing, uh, just li- listening to some of the stories we had off of the, you know, the phrase, of just, just Scandinavian flick it into the corner, let the rear, let the rear steer around, huh? Oh, what was, what was it? Uh, Scandinavian flick it and just wait for the apex. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> In an Aston Martin. In an Aston. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Who, yeah. Could, who could go wrong? Yeah. What yeah. could go wrong? Andrew so. knows about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, no, he doesn't. No, no he doesn't. No, he's no, got he a few more years no, before no. he knows about that. He don't know <laughs> no, he doesn't. About Move that. along. Move along. He's not the George you're looking for. So. That Aston was treated like royalty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Let it go. Yeah. So, so um, before we go real quick, I did want to ask, if anybody needs uh, vintage, racing, uh, vintage racing motors, what work do you guys do real quick, just in case we have listeners who do need specialized work? Our, our primary business is um, vintage race car restoration, and we maintain and we, we haul cars all over, the, all over the country and all, uh, support them all over the world. We've... Uh, We've we also have kind of gotten ourselves into the pre-war Bentley world oh, okay. a little bit. So somebody somebody that's got an old W.O. Bentley, uh, they they probably already know who we are. Right. Uh, there um, are a lot of them around here, though. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. How many Bentleys there are around here and uh, pre-war Bentleys at that pre-pre-war stuff. Yeah. And there's an interesting bit of engineering. They're there's a couple hours worth of just Bentley stories that sure. that I uh, I'm I'm much more fond of the more recent stuff. I try not to work on the on the old Bentleys. I, we've got a couple of people in the shop who are much better at it than I am. I stand back and I I point and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Why would they do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, we, we, again a different a, a different time. But from the coolest thing about my job isn't the racing the cars i mean that's a really cool part of the job yeah. but the really cool part of it is i get to sit i get to play with stuff on a daily basis that other serious car wackos get to read about in books yeah i mean and we've got a joke around the shop it's like oh, another gold wing <laughs> um, but we, yeah, but definitely. If, that joke is just at your shop it just <laughs> but the, but the deal is you 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 sit there and you're looking at okay in 1920s this was state of the art this was yeah. this was the McLaren of the day this was the, you know in 1928 they built a four valve per cylinder overhead cam engine yeah you know in the days when how in the world do you drive an overhead cam that's that's better part of two and a half feet away from the center line of the crankshaft. Does it say yeah? Everything was just push rod, no chain, valve, no, yeah. no no chains, no you know you can't yeah. drive it with chains. Gears are too noisy, all you know. But to sit there and look at go okay, this is really cool technology, and this was state of the art. And in the next five or six years, more and more people started doing things like that until the next big step happened, and. You you to sit and watch the engineering progress, and in the 20s and 30s it was pretty slow. In the 40s after the war, because there was so much technology done, you know, engineering stuff that was done as part of the war effort, suddenly technology took a giant leap, and then 
airplanes started happening and the people who were spending big money on airplanes were, you know, some of that stuff. But it went on and on. So we get to sit and watch the progression of, of technology. And, and for us, you sit back and you go, why in the world would you have built it that way? Because that was built back in the days when labor was really cheap and material was really expensive. Yep. And having one guy sit down and spend an entire week building one tiny little part was no big deal. Yeah. We'd never think of that today. So. True. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank um, you, guys. This yeah. Tons of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Love the I've stories. Learned, I've learned more than I needed to know. <laughs> no, no <laughs> kidding. You, so. you got me well, the talking. Next, the next time you get a 300 SL, you know how to take it. Yeah. That's, those happen every day. Um, <laughs> so I um, guess that happens. Yeah. Well, for Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. Don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.